We continue the Shear and Devi, final chapter of King David's life, a very brief one. Tells of King David who reached old age. In fact, it says he became very old, despite the fact that he was nostalgic at the age of 70. Still, it says he was very old. Old, of course, has two meanings. Hebrew, old could mean old aged, and old could mean wise, wisdom. King David, at his old age, there's one phrase or statement mentioned in the Navi, which we could pass over, but perhaps it's better to touch upon it, since it is an item of controversy. And wherever possible, we'd like to stress as much as possible about the Kedusha and the purity of its Tzadik Emes, especially against those who dare to think or to speak in vilifying terms, derogatory terms against any Tzadik, and much more so against the greatest Tzadikim that ever lived. In the other we find that when King David was very old, they acquired for him a young girl, his name was Avishag. He could not marry her, she was needed because at his old age, because of age his blood had turned cold, he could not keep warm, <coughs> even with heavy blankets. He needed natural warmth. So they got this very young girl who had natural warmth to keep him warm. Now, what was strange about it was that he did not marry her. He took her as a concubine. Two points involved. First, the Gemara says, why didn't he marry her? Why not make it completely legal as a wife? The answer is that he already had 18 wives, and it is forbidden for a king to have more than 18 wives. Why not divorce one of his old wives and take her now as a new one? He'd still retain the same number 18. The answer is, the Gemara says, that this teaches us how difficult it is and how much the Torah opposes the idea of divorce under any conditions. Better to have Avishag as a concubine than to have her as a legal wife, as long as you can avoid divorce. But the most important point of all is to state again, to make very clear, that to David HaMelech, Avishag was the same as any other person on earth. There was nothing but nothing physical about this union. Nothing whatsoever. Because David Elch had already stated previously, there was no desire, no physical desire for women. He had completely overcome and destroyed any type of that desire before his heart was pure uh, in that area. And so we stress this because there are some, at times there arise certain so-called Bible critics, reform or otherwise, who would dare to open their mouths to besmirch the sacred name of David HaMelech, whose name is synonymous with Hashem, Hashem Echod. As the Kodesh stresses, we say Hashem Echod, they go together. Just as Yehuda is Hashem's name, the four letters of Hashem's name is a Dalat of David HaMelech, so to Hashem Echod, Bigimetria David. So the holiness of David HaMelech is such that no one dare to speak against him, and those that do, may be assured, they cannot rest assured, there's no rest for them, they may be assured that there is very much retribution in the future. And which better it is, the Pasuk says, they're not dare to touch, to speak against those who are anointed, anointed chosen by Hashem. Now, we come to a one detail which 
is worthy of delving into carefully. It is something that is mentioned only in the Zedek Kodesh, and yet it is information that's very valuable. We know, as the letter says, that King David was an Ishama, his soul was very holy, and yet it was helpless. It was a precious Neshama without any life to it. And we find that Adam Harishim, Yimara says, was shown the entire future of all generations and all leaders, all Neshamas to be born. And he saw this Neshama of King David, he was amazed at its beauty, and he was saddened by the fact that this Neshama had no life to it. There were no years for it. And so Adam Harishon volunteered to give 70 years of his life. This is what the matter says. Let's study that point. Why that number and why Adam Harishon and the sequel to the story. Let's understand the story much better and much clearer. He offered 70 years of his life because he was destined to live 1,000 years, Adam Harishon, Adam, and he lived exactly 930 years since he had deducted, 70 years was deducted from his life as a contribution of his part to David Melech. He could live 70 years. This is why David Melech, in the first chapter of, of the Tikkun chapter 16, until him says that Tevasi Bal Alecha, he says to Hashem, the good I have, the years of my life, I do not owe to you, Hashem. You did not favor me with life. Your decree was, I have no years at all. What then? I owe a debt of gratitude to the Holy Ones, the Tzaddikim, who are buried, who have passed away. They have given me these 70 years of life. This is what the Zedekosh explains. It's all very clear, but there's one point that isn't. Because King David says, I owe a debt of gratitude to them. Plural. Plural. Not one. It was only Adam Harisha. At this point, first let us understand the fact that Adam Harisha gave King David 70 years. When he gave these 70 years, it wasn't exactly a favor on his part. He wasn't doing the Melch a favor. He was doing himself a favor. It was for his own benefit. Because he had a begum. Begum means a deficiency. He had committed an act which required correcting, for which, of course, he did a lot of tshuva. He fasted for over a century. He abstained from his wife for the same period of time. A lot of tshuva was done. He was a very great tzaddik, one of the greatest in the history of the world. At the same time, the tikkun to correct this act took much more than it would take for ordinary person who committed it. And so there was a lot of correcting to be done, in the ten levels of Kedusha, known as the ten spheros, we are not going into Kabbalah using these terms that are found regularly. These ten levels of Kedusha, they are divided into three levels that are called above, Yonas, the upper levels, seven lower levels. The seven lower levels are not only level, but equal to the three upper ones. The other Arishon felt that his act was one that affected the seven lower levels of Kedusha, because those seven lower levels of, are called levels of Maaseh, of action. He did something he felt was wrong, required correcting. So he gave 70 years, these correspond to these seven spheres, to King David to correct for him. Zerdi Kodesh says an error was committed. Had he given King David another 30 years, 
he would have had the three upper levels corrected too, because of the fact that there was a, become a deficiency in thought too, higher than action. In addition, the Zayde Kodesh says, his own 70 years being given to King David were not good enough. Because how could King David use those 70 years which in themselves were deficient? They themselves were problem. So there had to be a new 70 years to correct these. How were those 70 years contributed? Who contributed them? There's only going to show us mathematically exactly the reasons we can understand now for certain years mentioned in the Chumash. Abraham Avinu, the first father of the Jews, contributed to King David five years. How long did he live? 175 years. How long was he supposed to live? 180. Because like father, like son. Yitzhak Avinu lived to the age of 180. There's no reason why he should live five years longer than Abraham Avinu. He was supposed to live the same number of years. That means that Abraham Avinu had contributed five years of his life. He gave them to King David. To correct both King David and other Rishon's years that were given there which were deficient. Now Yitzhak Avinu gave nothing. He lived 180 years. There was nothing contributed to his part. Yaakov Avinu was supposed to live 175 years, equal to Abraham Avinu. He could not bypass his age, but he should live that number of years. How much did he live? 147. That means that he sacrificed 28 years of his life. These 28 years was his, were his contribution to King David for the sake of other Arishan too. That left, that was 28 and 5 is 33, and now following this, his son, Elad told us Yaakov Yosef, his main son, Yosef Atzadik, was supposed to live the same number of years as his father, Yaakov Avinu, which means 147 years. Yosef Atzadik lived 110 years. That means that he sacrificed 37 years. 37 and 33 is a total of 70. This, the Zedek Kodesh says, is the origin of the perfect 70 years that King David received to supplement, to correct, to help, to assist the 70 years that other Mauritian gave to King David. We have 70 years now. Agav, Zayi Kodesh, asks, why did Yosef HaTzadik have to give so much? Why did he give more than both Abraham and Yaakov Avinu? Why did Yitzhak Avinu give nothing? There must be reasons for all these actions. The answer is, Two answers. For one thing, that Yosef is known as Yosef HaTzadik. Yitzhak Avinu is also the origin of Tzadik comes from Yitzhak Avinu. Zayi Kodesh says Yitzhak Begimatria Tzadik with the four letters. Begimatria is the same. Plus the fact also that Yitzhak is letters of Kate Chai. Kate Chai. Tzadik is called Chai, life. The origin of life. The Yitzhak. But more, simple reason is that these two are actually one, they go together. We know that the entire future is based upon the coming of Mashiach, and there is not one, but two Mashiachs. As the Gemara says, Sukkah, there is Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. Since these two Mashiachs go together, and Mashiach ben David will come after Mashiach ben Yosef is killed, he will be the one to bring him back to life, fierce Mason. Therefore, it was only right that in turn, this favor deserved a favor in return, that Yosef Atzalek should bring to life David HaMelech, give him these number of years of life.
This is the reason for the division of those years. Now, the point is, though, that the years received from Adam Harishon, which were corrected true. Why was Adam Harishon so anxious to give of his years to David HaMelech? Again, the Israeli Kodesh says, because you're dealing now with royalty. It's very important to note this. In all, we've had many kings, Jewish kings in the past, when we consider it only three, three outstanding kings. One, Adam Harishon. He is the king of the world. He is the father of all mankind, hence the ruler, the king. He is called the king of all. The next king, the abbreviation of Adam, Adam's name, Aleph is Adam Arishal, second is the second king of David is David HaMelech, king after Adam Arishal, he is Melech Yisrael, king of the Jews, and third, finally, the king who remains as king in the future, Mem of Adam is Mashiach. These three go together, these three are actually one. They're actually one because they originate for this, the origin is the same. We say David, the Gemara says David, Mashiach are one. David, Mashiach, and Kecha we say in the Kedusha. And both are part of Adam Arishon, a Gilgal of Adam Arishon, so that it is understood that it all came from the same origin. And therefore, it was fit that Adam Arishon should be the one to supplement the years of David HaMelech, meaning actually himself. And this is why David HaMelech lived to the age of 70. And as the Gemara says, he was nostalgic. He passed away on his 70th birthday. He lived exactly 70 years. But this fact was hidden from him. He was not destined to know exactly the date of his passing. In fact, the Gemara says, he asked Hashem to reveal the date of his passing. Hashem refused. Hashem, this is an item that must remain a secret. But I will tell you the day, the day of the week. Hashem said that day will be Shabbos. For this, King David felt that it would be a desecrating, desecration of the Shabbos. He wouldn't like to have be a burden on the Shabbos passing away then. So he asked Hashem, if I could not live longer than this day to Sunday, at least I'm willing, let me pass away a day earlier, on Friday. Hashem replied that I will not do, because the minute you pass away, your son takes over the kingdom. Shlomo takes over the kingdom. And to have him one day more than you, your one day, in my eyes, your holiness, and your devoted service, and your davening, and your study of Torah is worth more to me than a thousand sacrifices that Shlomo Melech will bring into the base of Mikdash, which you don't have. You haven't got a base of Mikdash. He will have it. He'll bring a thousand sacrifices. Your one day of the study of Torah is worth more than all the sacrifices. So I refused to subtract one day from your life. The day of your passing will be on Shabbos. He already goes into the details of King David's passing, but first we come to the last day before he passed away, he called in his son, Shlomo HaMelech, to speak to him. Now, he called him in especially to give him his last will. This was prompted because of an incident that took place a short time prior to that. He had a son also, Adoni Yahu. Adoni Yahu felt he was next in line and age to take over the kingdom. And so, he decided not to wait, and to proclaim himself as king. 
he called the Jews together, he got some important ones on his side, especially Yoav, the general, came over on his side, and he declared a big meeting, big celebration, and they'd be crowned as king, with commander-in-chief Yoav joining him. How could Yoav join Adonai Yehoah when Yoav was the most loyal general to King David? Yoav knew that King David had his heart set upon avenging the acts that Yoav had done. Yoav had killed Avner, the general of Shaul HaMelech. Yoav had killed Amasa, the general of Shaul HaMelech's son. Yoav had killed Avshalom, the son of King David. He knew that he was destined to be put to death by King David or by his son. He felt to be by his son, and therefore he, he wanted to get on the good side of the next ruler, the next king of the Jews, so that he would not be put to death by him to save his own life. However, the prophet, the Navi, Nassan, the Navi, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Shlomo HaMalach, the wife of King David, and said to her, go into King David, speak to him, tell him that he had promised you your son would become king after him. He's not aware of the fact that Adonayahu is proclaiming himself as king. Why is he silent? And don't be afraid to talk to King David because I'll be right behind you. You start talking, I'll join in right after you. I'll take over. Let me do the, the heavy talk. She came before King David. She asked for an audience. Even the queen has to have special permission to speak to the king. He granted her this audience. She started to talk and she said to him, you promised me that my son Shlomo Melech would rule after you. Now, how come that Adonayahu is taking over instead? While she was speaking, notice came that Nasrallavi was waiting outside. He wanted to speak to the king. So he came, he was summoned in. And he said to the king the same words, you promised that Shlomo would rule after you. Today, Adonayahu has called the Jews down to a special place to celebrate his becoming king. He has not invited me, Nasrallavi, he has not invited your present general, Benayahu, one of you said will take over after Yoav. He's not invited your close people, your close servants. He's taken only those who are far distant from you. He hasn't even invited Shlomo, your own son. King David said, if that's the case, then I will not wait until I pass away. I hereby declare that my son Shlomo Amalek will become king now. We will celebrate this now. Call, assemble all the Jews to witness his coronation. This way, Adonio will be put to shame. This was done, and Shlomo was crowned as king. Adonayahu, who saw what happened, of course, fled fear of his life. He left, he went home. He hid out. He went to the, in fact, he went to the Mishkan to hide out there because he felt the Mishkan was a haven of refuge. He wouldn't kill somebody in the, it was a temporary holy temple. The Shlomo sent a message to him telling him, I'm not going to kill you. Do you deserve death? I will not kill you, but I will say this. Watch yourself because you deserve death. So any crime you commit from now on will add this one to it and you get death. If you behave right, live properly, you'll live. If not, you're asking for death yourself. This was final. Now, King David summoned Shlomo on the last day of his life and told him, I'm going to leave you now, and my message to you is, serve Hashem with loyalty, with faith, obey the mitzvahs of Hashem, 
and see that you implant the true emuna and avodas Hashem in all the Jews. Then you'll be successful as a king. I have two favors to ask of you. One, see that Yoav does not go to his grave in peace. He must pay for the crimes he committed. Two, Shimi ben Gera, that one when I fled Yerushalayim, he ran along cursing me, vilifying me. Use your wisdom, your chachma, and see that he too should not have a normal death. In other words, I'm not telling you to do any killing. I'm just telling you to see to it in roundabout terms that these two should have, should get what they deserve. But this, Dalmanach was nostalgic. He was buried in Hartzion, Kaver, where we have all the descendants of King David buried now too. Those who visit Yerushalayim, visit Hartzion, Kaver, Dalmanach, most people are not aware of the fact that this is the same place where there are buried two, Shlomo Malach and all the descendants of King David. All the Jewish kings and the family of King David are buried in that same place, in that mountain. Well, the first step of Shlomo Malach was to fulfill the command of King David, and Yoav was fully aware of this. Yoav fled to the base of Mikdash to hide out there, and King David sent Benayahu after Yoav. Told him go to the base of Mikdash, put him to death. When he came there, Yoav was holding out to the corners of the Mizbeach, the altar, feeling this was a place of safety. Yoav told him, This does not protect you. It is not a, a haven of safety because if you are to get a death penalty, you can be killed right here at the Mizbeach. Yoav said to Benayahu, I'm willing to die. However, I refuse to be punished twice. Now, King David cursed me. One time he said that when some of the acts were committed then, King David placed the curse upon Yoav and said, let him, his descendants, be lepers, the leprosy strike them, let them be cripples, let them be extremely poor and impoverished. I want death on condition that these curses are removed. If King Solomon wants me killed, let him take these curses. The reply was brought back to Shalomelech, and he said, very well, accepted. The Yorah says this was accepted, but it did come true. Yorah was killed at the spot there, and King David's descendants, one after the other, got these curses back. Uziyahu, we find in Yerushalayim, those who visit Yerushalayim, see the cave of Uziyahu, Uziyahu was a Mitzorah, a leper. He was forced into seclusion because of his leprosy. Later, also, these were descendants of King David, the kings of, of the family of King David. King Asa, when he became old, was a cripple on both legs. And Yechonia, later king of the family of King David, was so poor, he was put to shame. He had to eat food at the table of the king of Bava. The curses came back to King David. And therefore, the Gemara says, from this we learn a very important fact, very important lesson, a moral lesson for everyone, because if it could happen to King David, imagine how much easily it could happen more so to an ordinary Jew. Remember always this fact. It is better 
to be cursed than to curse. A person should avoid ever emitting a curse, because he who curses, the curse must return to himself, That curse comes back to the one who curses. There are exceptional cases. In the case of a tzaddik, who gives out a clever curse, a tzaddik gomor gives out a curse, must come true, and strikes the person who receives it. In the case of Don Melo, of course, he was a tzaddik gomor, but here, because the, it was retracted, brought back, we see then that a person can't tell. He may be trapped in his own words. How much better off he'd be if he didn't say the curse in the first place. So, Koshikei, surely, much more so, a regular person, a layman, should be careful with his tongue. To watch his tongue, never to say a curse against another person because he never can tell that curse might come back to himself. Almost probably would come back. This is called Shmidas Haloshim, to guard one's tongue. Now, before Yorav was put to death, there was a very short trial. This trial consisted of a discussion between Benayahu, the messenger of Shlomo HaMalach, and Yorav. Yorav asked, on what grounds am I today? Remember, Yorav was very sharp, clever too. One of the charges, show me why I deserve a death penalty. Benayahu said to him, well, first place you killed Abner. Abner was very innocent. He didn't touch you. He was helpless. He didn't expect you to kill him. This was cold-blooded murder. Do you have any excuse for that? Abner, the general of King David, of King Shaul. Yoav answered with logic. There is a din in the Gemara that if someone commits murder, he kills someone, the relatives of the victim are called Goel Hadam. It means they are permitted by law of Torah to seek out this murderer and to kill him, even if that murder was unintentional, accidental. It means if someone commits murder accidentally, to kill someone accidentally, then he may be pursued by the relatives of the victim and killed in cold blood that is 100% legal before he reaches certain cities of refuge. Before he gets there, they are allowed to kill him. So, Yoav said, Abner killed my brother, Asael, if you recall the story. Now, I am his girl, Adam. I am the relative who has a right to kill Abner. No matter when I killed him, no matter how much later it was, I kept this grudge. I was permitted to kill him because I was his girl, Adam. So, but then Yoav answered, this was the beginning of a very sharp exchange of words. Yoav answered, but... The fact was that Asael, who was killed by Avner, your brother was killed by Avner, was not killed by him illegally. Avner was allowed to kill him. What happened in that story? Asael was pursuing Avner. He was running after him. Asael was very light and very weak. Avner pleaded with Asael, don't chase after me because I can kill you easily. Asael insisted that Avner turned and killed Asael. This is what angered Yoav, and he killed him later. Now, what was Asael in this case? Asael was called a Rodef. One was chasing after someone in order to kill him. If someone chases you, you have a right to defend yourself and to kill him first. You are not considered a murderer, neither accidentally nor intentionally. A Rodef nitenatsinabinafsha. You may kill a Rodef, one who's chasing you. In this case, Ariel said to Yoav, you had no right 
to kill Avner because Avner killed your brother in self-defense. Again, Yoel replied, we see from here that these two had deeply learned the Gemara that deals with these problems, the Gemara Makas. Yoel said that this was no excuse. Avner did not kill in self-defense because the Gemara says that if there is a Rodev, one who is out to get you, and you are able easily to cripple him without killing him, to stop him by crippling him, then you are not allowed to kill him. You can easily cripple him instead to stop his pursuit, and instead you kill him, it is murder. Because you could have saved yourself by simply crippling him alone. Now, Abner could have crippled us so. Why did he have to kill him? Well, this was murder. So, again, when Ayo said to Yoab, how do you know that he could have crippled him? He turned and tried to cripple him, but there was no chance. There was no time. He couldn't aim exactly properly, and so he killed him. It was self-defense. No other way he could move. Yoab said to Ayo, the Yoab says that Avner turned and killed Asael, he aimed his sword exactly at his fifth rib, exactly at the point where the liver and the gallbladder meet. For this would cause his death instantly. They said if Avner could aim so precisely, then surely he could have aimed for his feet. You can't say this was an accident, he couldn't help himself, he was in a hurry to defend his life. With this precision in his aim, it shows that he had plenty of time to aim for something that was legal. And so he killed Asael. I am Asael's Goladam. I had a right to kill Avner. With this, Yoav proved himself that his defense was a true one. Somebody else said, we'll take the next case. The case of Amasa. The Gemara goes on to show how Yoav proved himself innocent in all these cases until, finally, as a last resort, but he always said, one thing you cannot escape. You joined Adonayahu now who wanted to be proclaimed as king against the wishes of King David, which means that you rebelled against the king. Rebellion is a death penalty. This Yoav had to admit to, and therefore that is how Yoav submitted to death by the hands of Adonayahu. It's very important to note though that Yoav was killed. Of course, we stress the fact that Yoav was the most loyal general in the history of generals throughout. Yoav would gladly give his life for the sake of King David. We've had many stories in the past about his extreme devotion to David HaMalach. But in these cases he had overdone it. He had moved wrongly. And therefore, King David wanted these sins erased by having Yoav put to death rather than dying a normal death, natural death, which when he raises sins, he can go directly to get Aden without having to pay for the sins later on. And of course, the Torah stresses right there that it was through Yoav's actions. Remember, he took over the only problems with the battles of the armies, that King David was able to sit and study Torah with peace of mind. So it was a lot to the credit of Yoav the general. Now, the next step was Adonijahu, who foolishly came to Bathsheba, the mother of Shlomo and said to her, I want to ask you one favor. Please do not refuse this favor of me. He spoke to her very smoothly, very glibly, and she finally promised to do him this favor. What is the favor, he said? Go 
don't ask Shlomo HaMalach for permission for me to marry Avishag, this young girl that King David had taken as a concubine. Rasheva didn't understand the impact of this request, apparently. She came before Shlomo HaMalach and she said to him, as your mother, I want to speak to you, as Queen Mother. And King Solomon placed a special throne next to his for her to sit down to show his honor covered to his mother. Bihara says, of course, they or use the word queen mother. He really referred to Rus, Rus, the great, great, great grandmother of David Melech, who was alive at that time. She sat on the throne during the reign of King Solomon. Now, Bathsheba turned to Shlomo and said to him, I have a request of favor to ask of you, and that is that you give Avishag to Adonio as a wife. Shlomo became very angry. He said, is that all he wants? He's asking this now. Next he will ask for the kingdom. Because this means asking for the kingdom. No one can take the concubine of a king except another king. How does he dare ask for someone that is illegal to him? And therefore, with these words, he has just forfeited his life. With this he sent Benayahu to Adonayahu, and he was put to death. Now he called in Shimi, Shimi ben Gera, where he had to fulfill the command of his father. Tamalach said to him, these two do not die a normal death, neither Yalav nor Shimi ben Gera. said to him, I don't want to hurt you, I'll give you a chance to live, but on one condition, you deserve death, you can live on one condition, and that is that you remain not imprisoned in your home, but in your city. You have the best city to live in, the city of Yerushalayim. Live in that city for the rest of your life. The minute you step out of that city, you die. Remember this warning, that no condition should you leave your city. Shemir accepted this ultimatum, remained in the city for a period of three years. At the end of three years, two of his slaves, he was very wealthy, two of his slaves fled. They left him, they left the city, and he decided that there could be no damage, no danger, risk just to go out and catch them and bring them back. He's not leaving the city. He's still living here. He's going out for a moment for a good reason. Get back his slaves. So he left. He got brought these two slaves back. And of course, King Solomon had guards who were watching this. They reported him. He was brought before Shlomo HaMelech. Imara says, of course, these two slaves, this was not a perchance happening. This was destined in a Shemaya from heaven. Hashem made it happen that these two slaves should go out of the city and that Shemaya should very foolishly pursue them. This is the same as Abedazel says the avarice of a person sometimes come in the form of animals. A person can pursue these sins, run after them, they're very elusive. The desire keeps building up within him to try to capture them. And for his, his entire lifetime, he never gets to the point where he actually captures these sins. Benazal's example is that the Satan himself, or the Eight Sahara, which is the same Malach, appears before each person with a closed fist, meaning to imply that within this hand, the Satan has exactly what the person desires. Then he suddenly turns and runs. The person runs after him. He'll spend a whole lifetime pursuing this satan, pursuing this elusive desire. End of his life, the satan laughingly opens up his hand and shows that it's empty. He pursued a desire for a lifetime, an evil desire, and you finally see that there was really nothing to it. It was not worth anything. 
This was the reason for these two slaves fleeing Yerushalayim to mislead Shimi ben Gera into pursuing them, and thereby breaking the command of Shlomo HaMalach. With this he was brought back to Shlomo HaMalach, and now he was legally put to death, fulfilling the last words, the command of, of David HaMalach to his son, not to allow Shimi ben Gera to die a natural death. Now, as we said, the one final point, that when David HaMalach was nostalgic, he was nostalgic on a Shabbos, and his son, Shlomo, took over after him, and he was confronted with a Shiloh on the very day of his father's nostalgus. He had already been crowned as king before that. This is one of the unusual cases in history, where he was crowned as king during the lifetime of his father. Usually, the moment that a king dies, the son takes over as king. In this case, he was crowned already, and he began to rule the minute of the Estalkus of the Ramach. When, at this moment of the Estalkus, the point of his passing, he sent a note, a request, to the Sanhedrin, asking them what to do. Am I allowed to move the body of David Amalek, because he's lying in the garden of the palace, it is not respectable to leave him lying there, and yet, a dead body, no matter who it is, dead body of an ordinary person, even the greatest king, is considered muktza on Shabbos. You're not allowed to move it on Shabbos. What do I do with this dead body? And the Sanhedrin replied that there is a way to move it by combining it with something which is usable on Shabbos, place a loaf of bread upon him or a child, and that way you can move both together. Morris says that because of this, Shalom stated that is a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Because here we have that the king David was known as the lion king, but he passed away. He was more helpless even than the smallest child. It could be moved on Shabbos, a small child could help King David's body to be moved. The point, of course, was that he once explained the Gemara says that his, there's a double question there. Dogs are hungry, what do I do? And my father's body is lying in the garden, what do I do? The Farshim say this means that dogs are hungry, these dogs are called the angels of evil, the evil spirits who come out at midnight. And they can be stopped by the special tefillah of Chatzais, midnight prayers of Tzedek. What do we do about these dogs, these evil spirits, now that the Tzedek Emes has passed away? His Zechus kept them from attacking us. His Zechus protected the entire Jewish people against these evil spirits. What do we do now? Their answer was that we should not give up hope. We should continue in his steps. Passing of Tzedek does not mean he has left us. It means that he is still with us, his spirit is with us, he will continue to lead and to guide us. We need only that one item, that true emunah, emunah shlema in the tzadik emes. If we have that, then we are certain that King David will be with us, that his son will rule over us. We will see the coming of Mashiach. Amen.